Our first reading this morning comes to us from the book of Isaiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. That is our first reading. Our second reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 11, verses 13 through 24. I am talking to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? That is our second reading. I invite you to please rise for our gospel reading for today is from the book of Matthew. 
where the Pharisees and Sadducees are once again looking for a sign, and Jesus gives them one. Will they believe it? It's always one of the challenges with the Pharisees and Sadducees. But let's read today from chapter 16 of Matthew, verses 1 through 4. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. That is our gospel reading. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Happy Sunday, everybody. I want to start off first this morning to talk about Moses, which I think is an interesting deal about how he died. And I don't know if you realize or not, but the devil was trying to get Moses' body. It is well established that Moses was greatly cherished by the nation of Israel, particularly toward his leadership at the end of his life. It actually took the Israelite nation a whole month to mourn over him. Why was Moses an exception about being buried? God himself buried Moses. Nobody else did he bury but except Moses. And his burial plot is hidden. Nobody knows where it's at. And God kept it that way. So why is Moses' death different than anybody else? The answer lies in Deuteronomy 34, 6, which states that Moses, the servant of God, died there in the land of Moab in accordance with the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab. See, the devil had a vested interest in Moses' body. Because, you see, you know how the Israelites were. When Moses went up into the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, what did the Israelites do? They made this golden calf. They idolized this calf, this golden calf. They worshipped an idol. And what God was fearful of is if they knew where Moses was being buried at, they would build a shrine there and basically be worshiping Moses rather than God himself. It's also related in Jude, I believe it's chapter 9, where there's a, one mention there about the devil, Moses, and the Michael, the archangel, where the devil was trying to get, there was a discussion going on, but where is Moses' body? And Michael would not give in. Because he wanted the body to be secured. Did not want the devil to have it. Because once again, you know, the Israelite was a nation. As soon as God seemed to be out of the picture, they would build an ark. They would build something. And they would just, they would be worshiping somebody else besides God. And so they want, God wanted to keep Moses out of the picture. 
And this prevented the temptation for the Israelites to do that. It's also interesting to note that Michael did not condemn the devil. He just simply stated, the Lord rebuke you. And no matter what happened in that conversation, the devil lost the battle, which is great. The devil is always around trying to come up with issues, trying to come up with ways to foil things and try to get mankind off of the path towards Christianity. Our scribes and Pharisees in today's reading, they were looking for a sign from Jesus, looking for a sign from heaven. Now the book of Jonah is unique among the minor prophets. It tells the story of the prophet himself, unlike the other 11 books, which are clearly more typical prophecies. And it's also interesting to note that Jonah means dove in Hebrew. So if you think about the dove, you think about the dove that was released out in the ark during Noah's time. You think about the Holy Spirit like a dove descending upon Jesus when he was baptized. The dove of Jonah has a special meaning. And we need to really fully appreciate the answer that Jesus gives. We must go to the book of Jonah. A little bit of history about that. In the first chapter we read where God commanded the prophet Jonah to go to the city of Nivea and warn his people that he was going to destroy it because of its wickedness. But did Jonah go? He went the other way. He disobediently ran away from the Lord and headed toward the city of Tarshish by boat. Of course, out in the boat, out in the river, out in the lake, storm came up. And everybody was fearful in the boat. Why was this storm coming upon them? And it was finally revealed that it was because of Jonah. That Jonah was the cause of the storm. So they threw him overboard into the depths of the water where he was for three days and three nights. The Old Testament story of Jonah is one of judgment, it's one of rebellion, and one of sheer hopelessness and grief ending in death itself. Recall that Jonah was supposed to preach repentance to his enemies, to give them a chance to turn around. But he didn't do it. Jonah's death, if you could think about that as being death because he was cast into the water, into the depths, into the darkness, which incidentally, when I'm going to talk about the prayer that he prayed, Sheol, he will talk about in the belly of Sheol, it's a place of darkness. It's a place where God is still remembers the people that are there, and he is still king, but it's darkness. And if you think about going into the ocean, down into the depths, it is dark down there. Nevertheless, God is still there. The prayer of Jonah is a cry of agonizing regret and startling hope. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish, and this is his prayer. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. 
I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The waters engulfed me to my neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth and its prison bars closed behind me forever. But you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh. My prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. And that's from Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. When Jonah essentially came back from the dead after three days lost in the depths of the sea, his preaching had power because he himself had become a sign. He was a sign not only of God's power, but of his willingness to forgive and to restore. The prophet went back to Nivea. You see, Jonah didn't work a miracle. He was a miracle. And if such a thing could happen to him, something could happen in Nivea as well. If the one who had been banished from the holy temple of God could be welcomed to home again like the prodigal son, if one had been in fact forsaken faithful love could return to the sacrifices of God with voices of thanksgiving, God's mercies were great indeed. Now, the synagogue leaders, they were looking for a sign. And Jesus replied, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus called the Pharisees and those that they represented an evil and adulterous generation. Evil is fruitless withered and corrupt, dead when it should be alive, bringing death when it should be giving life. And adulterous actually comes from Hosea's God, the God who calls his people a bride and yearns to be faithful. Both are deeply rooted in Old Testament pictures. Jonah fits into today's reading so well because Jesus says a sign from Jonah. Jesus parallels the Pharise- to the Pharisees about the people of Nivea, how they, were, how they came and s- surrendered themselves to God. From the time of Jonah's preaching, the people of Nivea had 40 days to repent. And they did, sparing their city from destruction. From the time of Jesus' preaching, the people of Jerusalem had 40 years to repent. But they did not, and Jerusalem was destroyed. 
Nivea came towards God and repented. The Israelites did not. Goes on to read, For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We know what that represents. The biggest miracle is yet to come. Even though Jonah came out of the depths of Sheol and was brought back onto land, the Son of God was going to be on the cross, died, buried, and will rise again. And Jesus mentions that to the scribes and Pharisees. He told them that this is going to be the sign for you as it was with Jonah. God uses signs or miracles in the Bible to authenticate his messenger. The Lord provided Moses with several miraculous signs in order to prove to others that he was appointed by God. God sent down the fire on Elijah's altar during Elijah's contest with the prophets of Baal. He performed the miracle to prove that God of Israel was the one and true God. Jesus himself would perform many miracles or signs to demonstrate his power over nature. And the sign of Jonah would turn out to be Jesus' greatest miracle of all. Jesus' resurrection from the dead would be God's chief sign that Jesus was Israel's long-awaited Messiah. And then we read, The men of Nivea will stand up at the judgment with a generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Those last two words are so critical in that sentence. And now something greater than Jonah is here. And Jesus is standing in front of them, telling them and performing all these miracles. And yet they don't get it because they're so wrapped up into their own earthly ways. And like Jonah... Jesus would become a sign, a great sign, and the only sign that we'll be, we will ever need. The sign that God is alive and all-powerful. The sign that God is loving and all-merciful. The sign that the kingdom has come and we can come home. All we have to do is recognize him and respond to him as the Pharisees did not do. Jesus declared to the Pharisees that he was the Son of God, that he was the prophet that was to come. But they just could not get it. Jonah prov provides one of the most significant and recognizable prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus himself. People need to recognize the fact that Jesus is the Lord. And we see him at work today, even in our own country, with the, with the election of the Speaker of the House, which I think is so totally awesome. God is in control. And the end will come only when God decides the end is going to come. The sign of Jonah is Jesus Christ. What signs are we looking for? 
In Matthew 24, verses 5 through 8, Jesus gives us some important clues for the discerning of the approaching of the end of times. It says, Many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Seems like a lot of that is happening today. But it's a cycle. It's happened in years past and will continue in years future. You look over at Israel and think, oh my goodness, we got a war going on over there. Look at Ukraine and Russia. You look at the famines. You look at the droughts. You look at the climate change around the world. And there are so many things going on. We think the end is coming. Just realize that for God, to him, one second is like a thousand years for us. We shouldn't get caught up into the technicalities of what's going on today, but rather we should be prepared. Prepared at any given moment. We don't know when the end is going to come. I believe that our end is going to come when we physically die. That will be our end here on this planet. The end of the world is going to happen sometime in the future. That's my belief. I could be wrong. But we shouldn't get wrapped up into everything that's going on today. God has given us enough information so that we can be prepared And our hearts should cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. Let that be the sign for us that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Let that be a sign to us to know that He is our Savior. He gave His life for us. Does anything else matter? It really doesn't. As long as we put God first. When we get up in the morning, throughout the course of the day, when you go to bed at night, make every effort to praise the Lord. Because He has given us, He has given, you know, I think about us. How blessed and great we have it. I know we have issues, but I tell you what, the issues we have are absolutely nothing compared to what's happening over in Ukraine compared to what's happening over in Gaza. How buildings are being destroyed. How people are dying. How they are just, there are so many things going on with those people over there. We need to pray for them. And ask them, you know, ask God to to give them peace and calmness in their lives. Because their lives are being totally uprooted. We don't have to worry about missiles firing over us or hitting us here in our homes. We don't have to flee from all the bad things going on. We have it made in this country. We allow, and we, ask, we need to ask God to continue to bless us, to protect us, and to give us guidance into our lives each and every day. And as we have stated, come Lord Jesus. Amen.